Welcome to Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. We've got a show, a nutty little show called Yammer. It's crazy though. We like it crazy so. That's how it's going to stay. Sign up, snow, psycho show. Won't that host shut up? Come to the show because you never will know if you love it. You might just find that it blows your mind. And who doesn't need a good blow? It's Yammer. Yo ho. That was part of the theme song to a strange little open mic spectacle that I ran in Chicago in the 90s called Yammer. It was a fun little show. I think in uh, all incarnations, it ran for about five and a half years. So I don't think it jumped the shark, which is a good thing. We had many activities that we did on a regular basis. So we would sing that song. To end the show, we would always sing... Emily Dickinson's poem, Because I Could Not Stop for Death, to the tune of The Yellow Rose of Texas, because more than three-quarters of her poetry can be sung to that tune, as well as uh, the theme song from Gilligan's Island, and there are other ones. It's because many of her songs were uh, re-customized hymns, the common meter, eights and sixes. And so many uh, songs are written for that meter, which is why you can do that. What I was so proud about um, with that poem and using it as our great egress into the world after the Wednesday night shows was I felt like so many people learned the words to that song because week after week, we sang it. And to me, that is a very rewarding accomplishment um, that I was able to pull off. We also made parody songs about other things. Hmm. The weather. Don't you just hate the ones who tell the weather? So that was about weathermen and women. I don't know if there were any weather women in my TV life at that time, but it's about weather people getting the forecast wrong. Um, when I was angry after a breakup, we uh, did make a parody to Bewitched, um, 
and saying it, you bitch, you bitch. But anyway, uh, we had a version of a song that was um, West Side Story inspired, but it was about Tony and Maria. But Tony, um, they were lesbian lovers, Tony with an I. A girl like that will date your brother. Forget that girl, go find another. One of your own kind, stick to your own kind. So it was all about uh, the Jets and the Sharks, and they were lesbian gangs fighting each other. Anyway, um, we also had anniversary parties that rocked with free beer and food. We had comic routines by the host, moi, behind a little desk. People used to love that little desk. And I would have a sidekick. Tom Tom was my sidekick for the longest tenure. He is my best friend in life. Love you, Tom. Um, we would do things like a country strip. And then I would, we'd be talking in a country accent, and then I would get up and put masking tape on my mustache and rip it off. Um, we also channeled dead writers at particular shows. Uh, Tom channeled Bukowski. I channeled Emily Dickinson, of course. Um, we had a medium come in and do that. That was really fun. We had a slumber party one time where the bar owner let us stay open past the hours and lock the doors. And, you know, daring do ensued. My philosophies about the show, the reason I founded the show, was because I had found performance poetry, and in particular, I had found slam poetry at the Green Mill in Chicago in the mid-90s. And I did quite well at the slam. I think I was the 1996 Winter Grand Slam champion. They had these weird little... Uh, contests along the way to making the slam team that would go represent Chicago um, in the national slam, which I never was a part of, I should say. One of the people who came to our show regularly, though, Mama Maria, she set a record. May she rest in peace. She was on 10 consecutive slam teams representing Chicago. Anyway, I did not really care for the format of the slam. When I first went out to perform my poetry, a friend went with me. He got up and did his poetry during the slam, and he was booed off the stage. And you know, he would never go out with me again to any kind of open mic, and I didn't like that. I thought that that was a, a mean-spirited way to invite people to love the art of poetry. So I started a show, which I called the Anti-Slam. It's true, if you do that, a lot of people will come forward with work that most people would consider subpar, but I don't care about that. I didn't care about that then, and I don't care about that now. I did have to implement a... Um, you know, I asked people to apply their own suck meter. 
That's what I called it. We all know when we're performing, uh, when we've gotten to the place where people aren't listening anymore. I would ask people to try to, you know, gauge that themselves. If they didn't and they just kept going on at my show, then I would pull them off with a little velvet cane. But anyway, uh, those are some of the uh, philosophies that I brought in was I wanted everybody to be able to participate. And it wasn't just poetry. This was like a little weird cabaret show. Um, We had magicians. We had painters. We had ballerinas, we had opera singers, we had a lot of singers. Um, Another philosophy that I had when I started my show, Yammer, so we had this little saying, we should be famous. And we, they, we, and actually an article in the paper called us the We Should Be Famous Club. Um, The problem with that was it sounded very arrogant and they forgot the first phrase of the mantra, which was, if Oprah Winfrey is famous, then we should be famous. And it was a joke, and I'm not the biggest fan of Oprah Winfrey, but it was a joke. But I was trying to point out, and we had talked at times at my show, about how random fame is. And Emily Dickinson talks about that in her letters, um, saying, you know, if fame were meant for me, I would be famous. I couldn't escape fame. So I just was commenting with that mantra on the randomness, at least in America, about the arts and how people raise, get to a certain level. Um, The show was very low tech. And I'm, that is really giving it the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) I remember one time, so I was working as a journalist when I was running this show, and a filmmaker wanted to come to the show, and I'm like, yes, come. And when she came to the show and she came back, it was at the back of a bar uh, on Wednesday nights. When she came to the back of the bar and watched how we did the show, she said, this is the show. And I go, yeah, this is the show. Um, You know what? If you don't like it, you don't have to stay here. That is when I adopted the Joel Hodgson uh, philosophy, which is this is for the ones who get it. That's what he said about Mystery Science Theater 3000. For those of you who don't know, he is the one who created it, Joel Hodgson. And he said, this is for who the people who get it, and that's it. Uh, that's how I felt about my show. Um, there were no sign-ups which was very different from any open mic that I had ever been to. But what I found was people would come, they would sign up, they would be number three, and when they got up to do their stuff, after they were done, they might have one more drink and then they leave. Well, I didn't like that. I wanted people to stay around for the duration of the show or for most of the duration. So I called on people, like a class. How interesting, right? That was before I started teaching. Um, But I would call on people in the audience and say, come on up here. I feel like I even got people who weren't going to do something, who did not come prepared to share art, to share a little something. And I'm proud of that, too. Um, So there were some really interesting people uh, that came through the show during those years. And I don't want to leave anybody out, but I have to mention a few. Uh, 
in memoriam, I want to say Frank. Oh, Frank. He was such a fabulous person, and he had a a horrible death by a drive-by shooter. The, the, it was a kid. He was on a bike uh, in Ukrainian village, and he was actually with a very good friend of mine when he was shot. Um, the story is just heart-wrenching. I'm not going to go into it now, but we sure loved Frank, and he would bring his uh, uh, saxophone and play. So when you say, bring up your sax, Frank, he actually had a sax, a real sax. Um, or bring up your axe, Frank, he would bring up a sax. And Digger, oh my goodness, Digger, the last man to ever let you down. That was what it said on his card. He was a groundskeeper for Wonders Cemetery in Chicago. He looked like Paul Bunyan. He watched after me watched over me. He called me little girl. He would stop in every once in a while because he was a bouncer at that bar where we had our show. Um, such a fabulous person. I remember one time I was there, not on the night of my show, but it was getting really late, closing time, uh, woman bartender. Hello, Amy. How are you? Um, Amy Bravo. Uh, so she was having trouble getting this group of men who were in suits, maybe lawyers, I don't know, to wrap it up. And Digger walked over to them, and he said something really close to them. And they got up, they paid their tab, they cleaned up their table, and they gave her a big tip. And I remember saying, what did you say to them? He was quite an imposing person. But he said, just take a care of business. We love that Digger story. Um, a lot of women who came to the show were very hot and sexy artists of the time. There were women groups that, you know, performed together around town as a group, and they would come to Yammer, and it had couches in the back room. It was like a little artist salon picture a painting of Gertrude Stein and some other artists that I can't remember lining the walls and then there were couches everywhere that people could lay on um, that also uh, induced some some shenanigans I guess uh, men would come and I made friends with a lot of men during that that tenure of Yammer, including the guy who claims that he came up with Gatorade. It's in you. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but he did learn the song, learn the poem, because I could not suffer death. Um, so I made really good male friends there. I've always been able to bond with men I had these six men in particular that were often at my show, and I was drinking a little too much at that time, and we would make jokes about that, and I would say those six men were my pallbearers. Most of these people, or many of these people, I shouldn't say most, but many, I'm still friends with today. I mean, how awesome is that? It's another thing that I'm really 
proud of, not only that I have been able to maintain these friendships that were initiated through art, but they are friends with each other, some very close. And I did that with my show. I created a space, a safe, open, friendly, welcoming space for art where people could come and get to know each other and, and learn from each other. Very proud of that. Um, so I used to say, if I die tomorrow, it's going to be okay because I did that. If there's nothing else that I have contributed to the world, I made that space. And I made that space for those people. And those people still have that space in their mind. And they still have those memories. And they're still building on those friendships today. One of the activities that we did, this was probably the pièce de résistance, right? I had my own funeral. We got a casket from a movie set. Thanks, Willie. I remember asking him, where did you really get this? And he said, if I really told you where this came from, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> it was a joke. Digger was there. He brought a wreath that was on a grave at Wonders. And he said, they don't need it till tomorrow. We made up flyers that said that I had died. We put them up around town, around the bar where I used to have my show. I got made up in cadaver makeup. I wore, like, my favorite outfit. I had another co-host at that time be the preacher giving the sermon during my funeral. Uh, we had candles. We had a kneeling bar. I was in this casket. It was fortunate that the back end of this bar could be separated from the front end by a sliding panel. So as we prepped this scene, we just pulled the panel and then we pulled it back. There were people that were in the front part of the bar that knew nothing about the show or me, who saw what was going on in the back room, believed it was a true funeral, and came back there and paid their respects. Now, I had taken a sleeping pill because I was afraid that I would not be able to pull off that act, acting dead, and I did wear sunglasses so that people wouldn't see my eyes fluttering. I had told my regulars the week before that I was going to close the show. And I thought that this was a good way to close the show because if we had this fake funeral that people could share what the space meant to them because the show was ending. And people really... Uh, jumped onto that idea. People made fabulous poems and little songs and little, you know, elegies um, when they got up one after another as I was laying in this coffin. Now, I was sleeping, I think, but Willie, the friend I mentioned before, was taping the whole thing. So this is how I know about what some people said when they got up. And what I found when I started to watch that show 
was that people were not only mourning the death of the show, they actually were play-acting that I had passed on. And maybe they actually thought, I won't see this host of this show very much anymore, and I want to say something to her. And the things that people said about me were so flattering. I could only watch half of that funeral tape. I've never been able to watch the whole thing because some things you're just not supposed to hear when you're alive. I don't know how Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer did it, but for me, I was so blown away by people's generosity and gratitude for what I had done in that little space that I could not listen to the whole thing. So maybe true, maybe I was a little arrogant when I, when I ran my show. I think a lot of it was an act, but I'm here to say now, I am a very humbled person because of that show and because of what I was able to help engender there. If you're a person who did not go to Yammer, I guess it's hard for you to understand what I'm talking about. Maybe. Maybe there's another kind of group, an art group that you know that's like it. But if you were one that went to Yammer and you would like to share a memory, please, please write it on the blog. Um, That would help other people envision this space that was so many years ago now. And we can all delight in the memories together. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. Until next time, get thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor forever Professor forever Professor